Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. All right. Hi, I'm Egan. I'm the owner of Caravan Digital. We're an e-commerce agency, and we specialize in on-site SEO, Google ads, Facebook and Instagram ads, and then email automation. So we're helping our clients basically grow their sales, grow their traffic, and uh, grow their brands. Thanks so much for coming on the Remote Work Tribe podcast, Egan. Can you tell me about the most exciting thing that you're working on these days? Yeah, I get pretty excited about courses. So we recently launched a uh, Google search and shopping course in conjunction with uh, Andrew Foxwell. Um, he's been uh, he's got a group called the Foxwell Founders. It's kind of a you know private Slack channel and things for um, paid advertisers. His focus has really been on the the paid social side, and so I was happy to partner up and offer some of our paid search expertise. And so we launched a Google Ads course with him, and it's gone really well. I always like to you know, kind of share what we've learned in the trenches as an agency. And so I talk with my specialists who are doing the PPC every day and we kind of figured out, you know, what's really working on our client accounts. And we're able to sort of systematize that, break that down and make it into a course. And uh, yeah, the course has been selling much better than I ever anticipated. And so I'm, I've now got an SEO course in the works as well. So I, I like to supplement the done for you services with, uh, hey, here's how you do it uh, type info products as well. Absolutely. And congrats on all the success you've had with this course. Can you tell me a little bit more about kind of what led you down that path of creating courses? I mean, in addition mm -hmm. to running an agency? Yeah, it was something I kind of um, fell into as we were a local agency. So we were known uh, locally here in Madison, Wisconsin, sort of the upper, you know, Northwest in the U.S., and um, so I just, I launched some workshops and I called it Digital Marketing Mastery. And I did a series of those and I kind of went through everything I knew. And I even put things on the syllabus that were things I wanted to know. So I would be forced to learn them before I had to teach them. And that was a nice little hack for me to learn about, uh, you know, things like YouTube ads or CRO or maybe other channels that we hadn't been specialists in or that we hadn't done. Uh, gave me a chance to kind of dive in and learn how to do those things and then teach them. And so I really enjoyed that. And so I did a second version of that. I did Digital Marketing Mastery 2.0, and it was really hitting my stride with that. We got, we got a nice format going where we would have lecture time, we would have workshop time, we would have office hours, they would have videos they could watch. And I, would, you know, I was creating you know, worksheets and things for them to kind of go through each channel and here's how to learn each thing. And so it was really developing good curriculum. I was really excited to launch Digital Marketing Mastery 3.0, and that's right when COVID happened. So that's been put on pause, but I've been working on the, you know, the digital side of, you know, the online resources. And I just, I really, really enjoy that. And I think we'll always make that part of the agency where in, we encounter a lot of people, a lot of leads who are interested and learning how to do some of this stuff, or would love to would love to be able to hire us, but maybe aren't there yet financially. And so I can point them to that and say, hey, don't worry, we have a course. Go ahead and learn it in-house and you know, feel free to come back to us when you know you guys have grown and you're ready to hire. And that's actually worked a number of times. And so some of the some of the retainer clients we've had for years now started in those digital marketing mastery courses with me. That's such a smart move. And 
I'm going to kind of just hand it something you mentioned very casually early on, which is, I know this isn't your first agency. You had a local agency in Madison, Wisconsin. Can you maybe talk through a little bit of that process of what it was like transitioning from a local agency to the now deciding to niche into e-commerce? Yeah, my team would tell you we're still <laughs> we're still transitioning, and that's total. You know, that's totally fair. Multiple years later, here, so we we really started life as like a local SEO company. You know, here in Madison, and we're known for that. We you know we were ranking well as an SEO agency, and so people would just find us that way, and we still get inbound leads that way. Got into Google Ads, got into Facebook Ads. We're building some WordPress websites, things like that, and it was getting complicated because different clients had different systems. Some were on WordPress, some were on content management systems you've never even heard of, and they were horrible to work with. And uh, the the programs, I should say, you know, these other CMS systems. And um, we just kept on running into that where clients had different email tools, they had different website tools, they had different things. And so we kind of said, this is, this is getting out of hand. We had local clients, we had B2B clients, and we had e-commerce clients. So I asked the team, you know, who do we get the best results for? And they said, e-commerce all the way. And I said, um, you know, who do we like working with the most? And they were like, e-commerce clients all the way. It's nice and clean. You can really show them, here's the results we got. Here's, you know, increased subscribers, increased traffic, increased sales we got for you. It's just a little easier to measure versus with service businesses. It's sort of a, here's how many leads we got you. What'd you do with them? And in some cases, local clients, you know, didn't have a CRM. They didn't have a way to sort of report on the sales side. How much business did that really turn into? It was just a little more um, ephemeral or something. It was like, yeah, leads came in. We're not sure how much business that turned into. And so those that combination, and then as we looked at, okay, who's the most profitable really? And what can we get, what can we be the best at? Um, e-commerce was also the answer there. Like our e-commerce clients were seeing great results and really growing. And so we we pivoted in that direction. And I realized just rebranding Get Found Madison as a e-commerce company wasn't going to cut it. We needed to we needed to branch out and serve people that were outside of the city, outside of the state, and maybe even outside our country. And so we rebranded. We you know worked with a, a brand consultant on that of let's make a separate logo, let's make a separate name. And I really involved the team on that. It, it took us a number of months to do where I was just like, I want them to feel like they're building the brand alongside me. And they did all the way from the, you know, the name and the domain and the logo and the design and everything like that. And so it, it was, it was fun to go back through that process with a team rather than, you know, with the original local agency, I just, <laughs> I threw up that website in a weekend and it, it, you know, coasted off it and worked with it for years. And so to, to build it as a team where it's, it's not just me, it's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's this group of us and we are the brand and we're this agency and here's the face of it. And we've, we've got, you know, team members faces on the site and I interview them for my podcast and our YouTube show and have them on the site and things like that. So that's, that's been really fun. That's kind of been, that's been the process so far in, in terms of the rebrand and then bringing in new clients under that, under that new brand name. Can you maybe talk a little bit more in detail about some of the ways that you were able to bring your team along into this journey? Because I know, I mean, a lot of times when you make a big change like that, that can actually have ripple effects, both positive and negative for people on your team. And it sounds like you did a really good job of like making sure that everyone felt included and like let them like feel like in as part of that. Can you maybe share a little bit more about what some of the strategies you did at the time and what maybe you're even still doing to this day. Yeah. And I know you and I know each other through the dynamite circle. Yeah. 
And uh, I'm in I'm in a mastermind there. And as I was describing this to the mastermind I'm in, one of them said, "This wow, Egan, this must be really hard. Like you know, as an entrepreneur, you you, you know, you want to move fast. Like that's kind of how you go. It's like okay, we're pivoting, we're changing brand, we're putting up a new site." We're going to be sell, you know, selling to clients under a new brand name. Like, like I said, you know, the, the first website I built in a weekend and got that thing live and got going right away because I wanted to get business. And I think when you involve more people, it's certainly a slower process, and that was certainly challenging for me. And you've probably been in design sessions where, you know, you're working with a graphic designer and you're getting input from multiple people, and people have wildly different visions for. What those what colors are good? What the logo should look like? What vibe are we going for here? Versus if if you're just sort of the dictator, you can move a lot faster. But again, you're not getting that input. You're not getting that buy-in. So I think overall, realize that you know we had a client that said to us, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. You know, and that's kind of the philosophy we had to follow on that. And I would be lying if I said it wasn't painful for me at times. But I I also knew like. I would have, I would talk to my wife and I would have these moments. I was like, this is my company. Like I should get say in this sort of thing. But I, I, I realized at the outset, I, I, I made it clear that, you know, it wasn't just going to be my way or the highway. I was going to make this a collaborative thing. And ultimately I'm glad I did. So I, th- I think that's a big piece of it. If we had a lot of zoom meetings, we spent multiple, multiple hours on the details that again, would have just been a simple decision if it was just me as an entrepreneur making the decision. And in some cases, uh, you know, we didn't go with my baby. We didn't go with my pick. And I had to be okay with that. That's uh, that's the high level of that. Absolutely. And it sounds like just from this process, I can just tell you have a very collaborative and strong like company culture. What are some of the ways that you've been able to build that over the years? I think uh, an interesting story or maybe an interesting story is before I hired people, actual full-time you know, W-2 employees in the U.S., I had to like have a conversation with myself and this is kind of funny, but it's just like, I I had this serious anti-authoritarian streak ever since I was a teenager or maybe as a kid. And so I was like sitting at my dining room table all by myself. uh, I like had to like give myself a little pep talk and have a conversation where I was like, you know, you can like, you're a leader. You can be a leader. I I had to change my identity in order to hire a team. So I I just mentioned that because maybe, maybe someone could benefit from hearing that where it's like, I don't have to be an authoritarian in order to be a leader. Like those are separate things. And so in general, I think how I've approached hiring is a very collaborative way. Obviously, like I am the boss. Sometimes I've I've got to give people feedback. I've hired a lot of, uh, almost my whole team has been hired almost out of college. And so a lot of young people we're working with, and this is their first full-time job. This is really their first, they're kind of starting their career. And so there are a lot of little <laughs> quality of life things and people skill things and professional skill things that I have to give very direct feedback on. And so I'm, I'm very quick and immediate about that, but I, I've realized that I, I need to be, I need to have a very supportive tone and be clear that this feedback I'm giving is to help you and not even just here in, in quote unquote, my company or our company, but in your career as well. Like these are, these are things, you know, Things like, hey, you said you're going to do something. It's not done by Friday, like you said it was going to be. Like that's not acceptable. You know, just sort of uh, making promises, keeping promises. That's really fundamental for whatever business you're in, I think. And so, I I try to balance that where it's like they they need a manager, but I think they also they need a mentor, they need a cheerleader, they need someone who's in their corner. So, I generally try to approach managing the team like a coach 
rather than this sort of, uh, again, authoritarian top-down. So we do all kinds of things like we'll have fun team nights where we'll play video games together or, you know, we'll, we'll get food and drinks. Or um, I also, I'm pretty big into personal development. And so I've kind of been sharing that with them and we'll kind of do one to many life coaching kind of stuff where in addition to business goals, we'll talk about our personal goals and I'll share mine and we'll sort of, you know, set good habits and check in on how are we doing on our personal habits. And so I try to, I try to make it collaborative in that way. And um, so far it's really worked. We haven't had, we haven't had any, anybody leave the company yet. And I think my oldest employee is going on, this is her fourth year with me. So it's, it seems to be working. I, I think it's, we'll, we'll see, you know, how long everybody stays, but in general, I, I know that younger people are known for not staying with companies a long time. And I think that you make such a big investment in them that uh, that's really how you have to think about it. And so I, I look at them not just as employees or capital to manage, but um, you know, as people. And uh, I'm a bit I'm a bit older, and I've got more experience, and I, I hope to be able to share that in a way that you know they're able to hear and use in their own lives. Absolutely, and that's I love what you just said about managing, you know, and leading your team as people and not just as cogs in a machine. Um, you've said a couple of really interesting things there. One that you kind of, you mentioned how you tend to hire a lot of people who are recent college grads. Can you maybe talk through some of the advantages of doing that and maybe some of the disadvantages as well? <laughs> yep, I really can. And I, I do go back and forth about it. I talk to other agency owners who are hiring, you know, certainly more expensive people who are later in their careers, but then you don't have to, you don't have to worry about some of those uh, some of those sorts of concerns of, are, are they saying the right things to the client? Are they being reliable? Are they, you know, following up within a day, things like that. So I think those are the things you'd expect in terms of, you know, we're in the dynamite circle. A lot of people hire internationally for that and have everyone sort of as just a contractor and they're paying these, you know, wages that uh, maybe wouldn't go very far in the U S but they go pretty far in, elsewhere in the world. That's not been my approach to date. And I, I don't mean to suggest that that, that hasn't had, uh, implications for our bottom line and even our margins as an agency. But I've also found that you can you can mold people a little more. It's their first career. And so we can kind of make it up. Hey, this is what this is what a job is. And so I think the good and the bad comes out of that of we can be flexible. This is remote. You know, I, I'm not here to stand over you and make sure things are done. I don't even necessarily care the number of hours you work. I just want to make sure the clients are happy and they're getting results. That's really what we're about. And so we can emphasize those things and, and just say, this, this is what's important. This is what matters. So I think those are some of the advantages in terms of maybe, you know, it's, it's higher cost than international, but it's lower cost than later in their career. I think the downsides are, you know, I, I sort of tell friends and my wife and other people I talk to, you know, it's like when I'm in a grumbling mode, it's usually just about, you know, they knock it out of the park on things I could never expect. But then other things like I can't believe I have to talk to them about. And um, it's just kind of that mix. But I, I think that's also just, I think that's just management and that's professional life too, where if I think back to what I was like at that age, I, uh, you know, I, I, I was not as far along as they are and I was not as reliable or dependable or useful. So I, I, uh, I try to remember those things too. Absolutely. Do you have an example of one of those times where you maybe had to, navigate a more challenging managerial world? Yeah. Things that come to mind. One, one's a funny one, which is, you might think of, you know, hiring recent college grads is when I was teaching that course, that was kind of the first time we had an 8am meeting 
<laughs> and it wasn't just a meeting. It was in person here in Madison and I was expecting people to be there. And so just having to talk to team members about like, okay, you were tired and you showed up late. Um, what happened there? And I used to, I used to work at a software company and one of the principles there was always find the root cause. And I think that was a software thing. The thought was you're debugging, figure out what happened, but that also applies to, you know, professional affairs and human affairs as well. And so kind of the logic of, you know, lean manufacturing and the five whys, I want to know specifically why you didn't get up in time, why you didn't get here in time. You know, when we did workshop time together, we would have to break, like, I couldn't lead a workshop for everybody. So I needed my team members there to work with our clients and students, you know, and so we, we needed all hands on deck for that. And so the coaching I would do would literally be around, you know, what time are we going to bed? What are we doing before bed? Are we turning off devices? You know, are we are we making sure we're not like eating or drinking late at night and having poor sleep? Are we planning out, you know, when we're going to leave the house? It's it's sort of it sounds really strange, and I'm sure there are people listening who are just like, I would I don't want to deal with things like that. I don't want to talk through things like that. But it's like once you do, you've got you know you've got great employees you can count on that um, you know that you you don't have to pay these mid career salaries for, and so that's. That's kind of that's kind of the long and short of it. And anytime anything goes wrong in my company, we do what we call an experience transformer. It's a concept I got from Strategic Coach. I'm in a coaching program for entrepreneurs, and so literally everyone knows if there's a mistake, if we drop the ball, if something goes wrong, we're going to debrief kind of military style and say, "Here's what happened. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work." Um, here's what we're going to do differently in the future. And we've actually created a Google Doc. It's part of the company. It's called the Book of Wisdom. And anything that's applicable to all situations in the future, we we take from the experience transformer and we add it to the Book of Wisdom. So um, I, I don't want my team to think that they need to hide mistakes from me. I don't want them to think that we should never make mistakes. But I, I want to emphasize that we always, always, always learn from mistakes and I'm, I, you know, I don't know if I really get upset. I don't yell or anything like that, but I really don't want us repeating mistakes. It's, it's okay that we make them, but it's mandatory that we learn from them. Yeah. I love that idea of having a book of wisdom. I think I feel like I need to steal that now. Um, now I'm just curious, what's maybe your top tip or your top note within your current book of wisdom? I think the theme really, really, really comes back to, we need to keep promises uh, I don't want us to be afraid to agree to specifics in terms of smart goals of the client asks us, when can these Facebook ads be running? I don't want us to be mumbly about that and say, oh yeah, it'll just be done the next couple of weeks here. Like I want us to give specific goals. I want us to have owners and dates, and then I want us to stick to those and exceed them. And so that's that's been a big theme lately. That's kind of what our experience transformers of late have been about. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to relent on that because I think that's the blocking and tacking, tackling of business. You know, probably any business you're in, that's true. But I think especially for us as a marketing agency, I, I tell my team, people are not just looking to us for results. They're, they're, they also want to know that we're dependable and reliable and they can communicate with us. Absolutely. That's so important. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, are you an introvert or an extrovert? And how do you think that helps you or hurts you as a leader? I would say I'm pretty solidly ambivert right in the middle. And I think being there helps me a lot. We had a, uh, a three-year celebration of the old agency and we had it at a pizza place across the street from me here. 
And it was pretty eye-opening. It was, I think it was partly generational, but partly just different. Um, my team was very, very, very shy in person. Now they didn't know necessarily all these clients and supporters we'd had over the years. So they didn't know everybody I did. I understand that, but it was, it was very eye-opening to me that I am leading a team of introverts. I'm kind of the resident extrovert as far as it goes. And so I think that that comes in and certainly in terms of business development where we're developing re- referral partnerships, I'm doing sales for the team, you know, for the company, you know, I'm, I'm sort of this external liaison to the world to some degree. And then when people become clients, you know, they get a client success owner on our team. And even that whole system of, hey guys, I can't lead every client meeting. I need you to, I need you to be account managers here too. That was a big scary moment for the team in terms of them being introverts and having to having to lead meetings. And I was like, we're gonna work through this, we're gonna figure it out, or 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 we're gonna die because I can't, I can't lead every single client meeting. There's absolutely no way. On the other side of it, on the introvert side, I was very intrigued by the book um, Quiet, the Power of Introverts. And um, so I'm a, I'm a big reader. I, I work from home most of the time. Maybe that makes me a little crazy. So I'm like eager to get out and network and go to parties and do social things after work. So for me, I'm, I feel like I'm in, for, in a sweet spot for, for me at least. And I think that combination has really helped me in business. I'm curious, uh, uh, why do you ask that one? Hey, it's one of those questions that I've asked in almost every single episode of John. Um, and it's really interesting to see the mix of people's answers. I want to say like a lot of people have tended to skew either towards introverts or ambiverts that I've interviewed and the differences and the reasons why I have proven to be very enlightening. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. What's your take on marketers and digital marketers and maybe even certain channels have certain stereotypes or patterns? What uh, what do you see and how do you think about marketers and introversion? That's a really great question. I feel like everyone tends to think that like you hear the perception that sales people are extroverts, marketers are introverts sort of thing. And I think there's an element of truth to that in some regards, but I kind of see that in particular more in the brand in the creative side, like brand marketing side of things. It's that's definitely tends to be the case um, of the does tend to be a little more introverted. However, I've definitely noticed like it's all over the map in my experience when it comes, especially when you come into like marketing leadership roles um, and also like an agency and marketing agencies as well, like all over the map and knowing it's more about knowing what your leadership style is and what your personality is like. And you can kind of mold that. I mean, I'm very much an introvert and a lot of ways I kind of use some of the things that I think I'm naturally pretty good at, like naturally being pretty like analytical and for the most part, good at listening. Um, And I kind of use that to my advantage and don't try to like do things that I'm not necessarily as much as much more than fine too, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. It's, I think that resonates a lot. Everything you said there with what I've experienced, my, my gut is to try to get the team out there more. I want to, you know, I want to have them on my show. I want to showcase what they know and what they're capable of. And uh, sometimes I get reminders that they're more introverted where I was interviewing a team member about some ads they were running. And I asked a question and she goes, Hey, that wasn't on the list. <laughs> like the, the list of questions I sent before to, beforehand. And, you know, to, to me, I love to shoot the breeze and uh, improvise. And uh, that's, that's kind of a different style versus someone who wants the questions ahead of time, wants to really be prepared. And, you know, anytime they're public facing, just really be ready. Um, so that was, that was a learning experience for me. Yeah, absolutely. I tend to agree. I tend to side a little bit more with you and 
I find like improvising a little, like having a list of questions, but also improvising tends to be a little bit like tends to work better for me, but there's no right or wrong answer there. I want to kind of go back to something you said a few minutes ago, which was how you could had to like figure out ways to empower your team to kind of lead, become account managers and be comfortable leading client meetings. What were some of the steps that you took to kind of get people to feel okay with that? And also for you to feel okay with delegating and trusting and trusting them to lead those meetings? Yeah, great question. And this is this is always still front of mind because it's it's nerve-wracking. If you're a business owner and you're selling to clients and they're on retainer and you know, your bread and butter is to keep them happy and to keep getting them results. And you know, you do lose clients over time and you always sort of wonder, geez, if I had been there, could I have saved this? And in some cases, maybe, in some cases, no. But you also have to think of the overall business, like is that really my unique ability? Is that really my sweet spot? Is that how I want to be spending my time? If not, then I need to trust. I need to learn to trust. And in some cases, I even need to learn to let clients go that maybe we could have kept if I had been in every Zoom meeting, but I don't want to be in every Zoom meeting. And so um, really being, what's what's the word? Open-eyed about the trade-offs. I think, I think that's kind of where that, what I call realism comes from for myself. In terms of how we work through it, I'm also much more okay with uncertainty. I recently listened to a course about, uh, you know, psychology of personality. And so, you know, psychologists refer to the big five traits, which openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And elsewhere in this course, I learned about kind of some other, other big traits that are both at an individual level and even like a cultural level, like your, your national culture, and it varies over the world. And one of the other traits was um, how okay are you with unfamiliar situations and scenarios? And I'm on that openness measure. I'm a hundred out of a hundred. I really like new ideas. I like far out art. I like abstract films. I like meeting new people. I like new situations and parties and you know maybe that side of extroversion. And I'm I'm kind of off the scale on some of those things. And so that can be an advantage if if I can be aware of it. And then also comfort, you know, comfort with discomfort, basically. Um, I, I think I've I have that more than I realize and more than some other people do. And so when we went to do it, one of the team members told me, I feel like we're falling off a cliff. Like they were really, really scared about this switch where Egan's not going to be in the Zoom meetings anymore. And so we really had to block and tackle and figure out what specifically are you afraid of? You know, the way you lead meetings is not going to be the way Egan leads meetings, which is, you know, by the cuff, right? And that's how a lot of agency owners, a lot of entrepreneurs are. You're going to have to prep more and you're going to have to send the agenda ahead of time. And you're going to have to send out the notes afterward and the next steps. And when you don't know things, this is, I think this was a really big moment is it's okay to not know the answer on the fly. Maybe Egan knows the answer on the fly or can, you know, be spontaneous. You don't have to be, you can say, I'll follow up with you as long as you follow up. That's okay. And so that that was a big moment for me back when I was at a software company and sort of an implementation and project management role is there's so much in this industry. There's so much in the software. There's no way anyone knows it all. And so it's okay to say, I don't know right now, but I will find the answer. I think, I think that was a big moment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I had the similar experiences working in-house before I went up on my own work. I know when I was really early in my career, like in the first couple of years, I was so afraid to like be caught out in the meeting and be like, what if I don't know the answer? And then you start to realize and learn, oh, it's okay. Like you don't, you don't know the answer right off the bat. Sometimes it actually can work to your advantage and you can ask 
better questions and provide a much more thoughtful response than doing it on the, off the cuff. Yeah. And it's, and that's totally okay. Like we, it's okay to table things. It's okay to take follow-ups. Absolutely. So I uh, kind of a follow-up question that you had is when you first became a manager, when it sounds like back in your kind of corporate days before you were in an agency, what's one piece of advice you would tell yourself now? Hmm. Something from then that I would say now or something now I would say to that version of me then? Now that you would say to that person that. Hmm. I think this is still true today for me, but it's, uh, yes, it's good to give immediate feedback. It's also good to give immediate positive feedback of everyone's looking for that. In some cases, you know, what people get out of their job is not even primarily the pay. You know, it's not the status. It's not this or that. In some cases, it literally is a, people get a lot of value out of being told they did a good job. And so I think that piece is huge. The other thing I've learned, I listened to the manager tools podcast for a while as I was, as I was getting ready to lead a team. And a valuable thing I learned from that is always have specifics. Don't manage by generality. So when you have your one-to-one with a team member, don't say, Hey, you're kind of, you know, like you're kind of wishy-washy in meetings. You're not very specific, something, something like that. Like if it's, it's high flown in general, that's no good. So you need to have a manager file on each team member or it's recommended and you jot things down as they happen. So you can talk about them next time. And if it's a big deal, you talk about them right away, either, you know, for good or ill, you address that thing that day. And ideally right after that meeting or right after it happened. So I think that immediate feedback, both positive and constructive is important, but then also develop a file on each team member. And as things are happening, you know, things they did well, things that they need to do better document those with as many specifics as possible of, you know, have a specific email folder for them, whatever it is. So you can refer back and give them the specifics so they can understand from specific scenarios, not sort of generalities that you've noticed over many scenarios without having a specific example. That's a great tip. I always like to kind of, before we wrap, I always like to ask a few lightning round questions. What's one book you recommend that all remote first leaders should read? Hmm. When I Right when I started the company, I read those books um, remote and office not required. Um, and those certainly inspired me. And so we've been, you know, zoom first, right from the get go, even when, even as we were, you know, all in Madison here, I was like, we're going to be a remote company first and foremost. And so reading those books gave me the, uh, confidence and, and some of the specifics to think, yeah, this is the right path. This is the way of the future. And this was, you know, before the pandemic and not all of our clients would necessarily meet us over zoom. And so, you know, one, one of the silver linings on the pandemic is, Almost all of our clients are basically all our clients now meet us over Zoom. This is this is the default you know business phone call now, and that's that's been a benefit. Absolutely. And if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about? Hmm. I am working on one, so I'm in process on the ultimate guide to e-commerce marketing. Hmm. Do you mean it for business, or do you mean for anything? Purposely leave it open-ended. Yeah, I do have this. <laughs> I have this thing that I annoy my friends about, which is as I've gone down this path on personal development, I've got this whole list of things that you never learn in school that are really, really, really valuable as an adult. And so I think a more maybe fun and impactful book would be that, like basically all the things you need to know that you never learned in school, something along those lines. Uh, Do you have an example? Something that's been big for me and I've mentioned with the coaching the team on is um, daily habits and having a morning routine. I think it's probably also good to have an evening routine to wind down. I'm not always great at that, but I think that um, managing, (laughs) you know, managing your emotions, sort of emotional intelligence, I think, you know, making meditation part of your morning routine or my morning routine really helps with that, where when something happens to you, 
if you can just lengthen that amount of time between the event and then your reaction, it, um, that really that really is a differentiator. It's it's better for you in your personal life. It's better for you in your professional life. And so I think that's you know kind of mindfulness and you know emotional awareness all tied together. And I think to me that ties in with how am I doing on my morning habits. So that's that's kind of a group of things that go together in my mind. Absolutely, I feel like EQ and learning how to manage emotions is something that I don't understand why it's not taught in schools in like a more effective way. Because yeah, yeah. What was the, f- the first thing you said? I uh, know like what I was just saying is like managing emotions in uh-huh. EQ are things that are just so important. I see EQ, like, emotion, emotional intelligence, right? Yeah, soft skills. Yeah, yeah, all those soft skills which I kind of turned my nose up at when I was, you know, <laughs> smart ass young teenager. And now I'm just like, no, no, this is, this is the way the world works. Like, do people have positive or negative interactions with you? Do they want to talk to you again? Do they speak well of you in your absence? These things actually matter a lot, it turns out. Absolutely. Um, and I share a similar view. And when I was a teenager, I thought, I'm like, these things are like, they don't matter at all. And then I couldn't have been proven more wrong as I, you know, <laughs> Entered into my first couple of jobs out of um, out of college. Um, kind of another question I had is, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Ooh, that's a good one. I like Einstein. I think the more you learn about him, like the better he gets. That's that's kind of my feeling. So I would I would love to meet him in person and even hear his explanation of his great ideas and see if I can even almost pretend to follow along. Absolutely. And it's been really great chatting with you, Egan. Where can listeners find you online? Yeah. So our agency is caravandigital.com. Um, that's a good way. You can always email me at Egan, E-A-G-A-N, at caravandigital.com. Uh, and I'm on Twitter, O-B-K-O-M-M-Y, Obkami. You can just look up Egan Heath and you can find me that way. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jessica. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com to learn more about remote work trends and insights.